our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Kings chapter 7. Now, again, we're going to get into all of those cubits and things today. So let me read it to you from the New Living Translation because it takes all the cubits out and puts in words that we really understand well. Beginning with verse 13. Solomon then asked for a man named Huram to come from Tyre. He was half Israelite since his mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father had been a craftsman in bronze from Tyre. Now, you say, well, Pastor, his, his mother was an Israelite. One of the things you have to learn is that even to this day, a person is considered an Israelite by his mother and not by his father. Huram was extremely skillful and talented in any work of bronze. He'd been taught it by his father. And he came to do all the metal work for King Solomon. <laughs> his skill, remember in Proverbs, your skill makes room for you. You see a man skilled in his work, he will stand before kings. These are all verses that you can go and, and type in there now. Huram cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference. Now, let me show you a picture of what these two pillars look like so that you'll understand the description as we go. All right, so verse 16. For the tops of the pillars, he cast bronze capitals. These would be like the, the call it the lid of a pillar, all right? Each capital was decorated with seven sets of lattice work and interwoven change. He also encircled the latticework with two rows of pomegranates to decorate the capitals over the pillars. The capitals on the columns inside the entry room were shaped like water lilies, and they were six feet tall. And the capitals on the two pillars had 200 pomegranates and two rows around them, beside the rounded surface next to the latticework. Huram set the pillars at the entrance to the temple, one toward the south and one toward the north. And he named the one on the south, Jekin, and the one on the north, Boaz. Now, it was very common with these tremendous works. They weren't there for, they were there for decoration. The, these great pillars were not there to hold up a building. They were there as very expensive decoration. And he gave them names, Jacob and Boaz. The capitals on the pillars were shaped like water lilies, and so the work of the pillars was finished. Then Horam cast a great round basin, 15 feet across from rim to rim, called the sea. It was seven and a half feet deep and about 45 feet in circumference. It was circled just below its rim with two rows of decorative gourds. And there were about six gourds per foot all the way around, and they were cast as far as the basin. The sea was placed on 12 bronze oxen, all facing outward. Three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. And the sea rested on them. And the walls of the sea were about three inches thick and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a water lily blossom. It could hold about 11,000 gallons of water. Now, this was the water necessary for the sacrifices. Huram also made 10 bronze water carts, each six feet long, six feet wide, and four and a half feet tall. They were constructed with side panels braced with crossbars. Both the panels and the crossbars were decorated with carved lions, oxen, and cherubim. Above and below the lions and oxen were wreath decorations. Each of these carts had four bronze wheels and bronze axles, and they were supporting posts for the bronze basins at the corner of the carts. These supports were decorated on each side with carvings of wreaths. 
The top of each cart had a rounded frame for the basin. It projected one and a half feet above the cart's top like a rounded pedestal, and its opening was two and a half feet across. It was decorated on the outside with carvings of wreaths. The panels of the carts were square, not round. Under the panels were four wheels that were connected to the axles that had been cast as one unit in the cart. And the wheels were two and a half feet in diameter and were similar to chariot wheels. The axles, spokes, rims, and hubs were all cast of molten bronze. Now, this is how they moved water around up inside the, the sacrificial area. There were handles on each of the four corners of the carts, and these two were cast as one unit with the cart. Around the top of each cart was a rim nine inches wide. The corner supports and the side panels were cast as one unit with the cart. Carvings of cherubim, lions, and palm trees decorated the panels and corner supports wherever there was room, and there were wreaths all around. All ten carts were the same size and were made alike, for each was cast from the same mold. Hurum also made ten smaller bronze basins, one for each cart. Each basin was six feet across and could hold 220 gallons of water. He set five water carts on the south side of the temple and five on the north side. The great bronze basin called the sea was placed near the southeast corner of the temple. He also made the necessary wash basins, shovels, and bowls. So at last Huram completed everything King Solomon had assigned to him to make for the temple of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars, the two networks of interwoven chains that decorated the capitals, the 400 pomegranates that hung from the chains on the capitals, two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that decorated the capitals on top of the pillars, the 10 water carts holding the 10 basins, the sea and the 12 oxen under them, the ash buckets, the shovels, and the bowls. Hura made all these things of burnished bronze for the temple of the Lord, just as Solomon had directed. The king had them cast in clay moles in the Jordan Valley between Succoth and Zatharan. Solomon did not weigh all these things because there were so many the weight of the bronze could not be measured. Solomon also made all the furnishings of the Lord of the temple of the Lord, the gold altar, the gold table for the bread of presence, the lampstands of solid gold, five on the south side, five on the north, in front of the most holy place, the flower decorations, the lamps, the thongs, all of gold, the small bowl, lamp snuffers, bowls, ladles, and incense burners, all of solid gold. The doors for the entrances to the most holy place and the main room of the temple with their fronts overlaid with gold. So Solomon finished all his work on the temple of the Lord. Then he brought all the gifts his father had, David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and various, various articles, and he stored them in the treasuries of the Lord's temple. So all of these treasuries, all of this wealth that David had, had set aside, and this is going to be to support God's temple. Solomon didn't blow through that money. Solomon kept it set aside. And, and you learn a principle here. Dedicated offerings must go to where they've been set aside. And Solomon honored that. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes the leaders of the ancestral families of the Israelites. And they were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all during the construction period, the Ark was inside the city of David. So all the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual festival of shelters, 
which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethium. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the priests picked up the ark. Okay, remember David made that mistake. We just taught it last weekend. The priests and the Levites brought up the ark of the Lord along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. Now notice, nothing was in it. So my question now is, where is the manna? And where is the rod that budded? Aaron's rod. I have no answers for that, but I do have a question. That's how you learn. You ask questions. When the priest came out of the most holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests, I love this, the priests could not continue their, ser their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Now, verses like that I look at and go, oh, Jesus, I want to see that. I want to be in church one day where we just can't, we can't continue. Because your presence is just so strong in the place. The glory comes down. I've been in services like that. I long to see those days. Then Solomon prayed, O God, O Lord, you who have said you would live in a thick cloud of darkness, now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father, David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people, Israel, out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as a place where the temple should be built to honor my name. But I have chosen David to be king over my people, Israel. Then Solomon said, My father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But God told him, You wanted to build the temple to honor my name. Your intention is good, but you are not the one to do it. One of your own sons will build the temple to honor me. And now the Lord has fulfilled the promise he made. For I have become king in my father's place, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And I have prepared a place there for the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Beautiful, beautiful truth. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up at Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 35. This Moses, he continues his sermon, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man, okay, so this Moses, this man, this man, we're all talking about Moses here. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. So this is talking about Jesus. This is the one who would have said in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they returned to Egypt. Now, not physically. Not a physical return, but in their hearts. Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to understand It's one thing to do something physically. It's another thing to do it in your heart. You know, there are men that have left their wives, not physically, but left their wives in their hearts. There are women that have left their husbands, not physically, but left them in their hearts. There are parents that have left their children, but only in their hearts. There are young people that have walked away from their families, maybe not physically, but in their hearts. So you have to understand there are times that leaders are thrust aside. And it's something that you ha- you just have to learn with people that as a leader, there are times people just push you aside because their hearts have changed. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to an idol and were rejoicing in the work of of their hands. Wow. You make a demon idol and then you rejoice in what you've done rather than rejoice in the Lord. It seems that people like to rejoice in what they've done rather than what God has said. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness of the house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Wow. So, Israel made no offerings during 40 years. That entire generation stopped offering to God. Our forefathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua, and when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers, so it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. This was David's heart. Nobody until David wanted to build the temple of God. They were all happy just to have this little temporary tent moving around. And basically for 300 plus years, it was at Shiloh. So they were just happy, just, you know, prioritizing themselves. 
until David wanted to build the house of God. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of your prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. All right, so all of a sudden, this, the sermon turns. Everything above this, they're going, yes, yes. We like all of this. It's just a historical account of God's walk with man. But now, he pricks the hearts. And everything changes. In every sermon, you want to get the people coming along with you, opening their hearts. But there comes a time in every sermon when you've got to just look out and go, all right, now here's truth to challenge hearts. It's a great thing to remember. Open your Bibles now to Proverbs for just a little bit of wisdom today. Proverbs chapter 28, beginning with verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Wow. Hidden sin destroys success. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses, number one, and number two, forsakes them, will obtain mercy. Notice the word will, not might, will. Now, beloved, confession means to agree with God. Whoever confesses, yes, God is right and I'm wrong, and forsakes, turns away from his sin, obtains mercy. Beloved, in this season, some of you have done some stuff that you've started patterns of life that you're ashamed of, and you keep it very hidden. And you think, as long as other people don't know, my family doesn't know, Christians don't know, I'm okay. I'll just bury this over here. Have you ever noticed when you bury something, it stinks? <laughs> so does buried sin. It stinks. Beloved, please, confess and forsake, and then let the blood of Jesus flow and obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart, oh, beloved, get a hold of that, will fall into calamity. He didn't say might. He said will. Now, another translation puts it this way, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. You know, when you, you know there are people that just double down on their foolishness. They just double down on their rebellion, and they don't understand. There's nothing but calamity ahead. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. You take a wicked ruler over poor people, man, it's a destructive situation. A roaring lion and a charging bear, there's 
folks, there's no hope. It's, it's, you're in trouble. A wicked ruler, not a good ruler, but a wicked ruler. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. You know, they may talk sweet, but they're a cruel oppressor. But he who hates unjust gain will, not might, will prolong his days. Here's long life. You know, we we live in a world where corruption, he who hates corruption will have long life. We live in a world where corruption is expected and acceptable. But you know what? It's not. It's just not. Whether it's a pastor falsifying records to get extra bonuses or a contractor falsifying and putting in, you know, substandard materials or a building inspector or uh, a purchaser who, who gets a kickback so that he'll release, you know, he'll release the contract. There's so much corruption in the world today. And it's almost like, well, of course, you, you, this is just the world that we live in. We have to pay bribes. We have to do this. We have to do that. No, you don't. Do you want a long life? Everybody goes, yeah. Do you want a long life? Then hate corruption. Hate unjust gain. And you will have a long life. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock. I'm not sure I'm going to teach on Romans tonight. I'm playing around with doing something else. I might teach Romans, and I might teach something to really help some of you that are really struggling with some finances right now. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.